If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. I love what Pastor Eugene said yesterday about Jesus is alive. I thought those five takeaways were super, super helpful. And I want to just kind of continue in this conversation. I'm going to read through John 15, but you've got to understand that the five chapters of John 13, where you have Jesus kind of washing his disciples' feet, uh, breaking some bread, handing it, it's like the Last Supper. And you see kind of the, the ministry, the, the kind of the praxy of how Jesus orients himself, even as how great he is, how what he knows is coming the cross, and he still takes a basin and a towel, washes his feet of his disciples. In John 14, he comforts his disciples. He also promises the Holy Spirit. In John 16, he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit, how this Spirit of God, it's actually good for him to go because the Spirit of God will come, and the Spirit of God will actually do three things. It will kind of show us where we're finding our righteousness in ourselves. It will show us where we are wrong, and it will remind us who wins in the end. All of the while illuminating Jesus is alive. And then John chapter 17, you see Jesus praying. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for all believers. He's praying for you and I, and he's praying that we would be one. That there would be this sense of unity. But right in the middle of this, in John 18, he gets arrested. Right in the middle of this, scholars believe that Jesus is walking and he walks him to a vineyard. Which just, if I knew I was going to die, maybe that's where I would go too. Hey, we're just going to go to Napa for the weekend. Let's just have a great time. And in John chapter 15, it's like Jesus wants to offer up these disciples who he's spent three years with one more little bit of teaching. And friends, I think it's one of the most central, profound, sacred texts. And I hope that we can kind of go on a journey to a vineyard together. Uh, a number of years ago, I had the privilege to go to South Africa, and I was doing some ministry out there, and we were working with some global partners, and, and, and then there was this orphanage uh, that we were kind of staying at that was connected to the school and clinic, and we were going to stay at the orphanage, but there was too many kids, so there wasn't enough beds, and so half the group was like, oh, great, it's okay, we'll go into the, to the Cape, and we'll basically stay at a hotel, but I, I looked at this one guy, and I said, hey, what's that over there? It looks like a vineyard. He's like, oh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great vineyard. Um, I'm like, do they got any rooms? He's like, well, they, they do have a, a guest house. We know them. I'm like, can I stay there? And he's like, I'll see. He makes a phone call. I'm, a, I'm able to stay there. A couple guys join me. And every morning at like 5 a.m., because my time was all off, I would wake up and I found this vine dresser, this like gardener, this guy who was like in charge of the grapes. And I kid you not, just like me with Redwoods, I find something and I study it and I learn as much as I can and I am annoying. And so I find this guy and I just start walking with him. I was like, hey, hey, can I just, can I just follow you around? Can I just learn? I don't have to do anything until 10. He's like, it's 6 a.m. I'm like, I know, four hours. Just let me, I won't say a word. I, I can't promise. But like, I'm going to try not to say, I just want to watch you and observe. And so for a whole week, for like six to 10, I just followed this guy and I would just watch him. I watched how he, how he just interacted with the grapes. I watched him. And, and the first day I was pretty quiet. Second day I started to ask another question. Third day was a little less 
kind of slow to speak. I was pretty quick to speak. And the last day, I was pretty annoying. And, and, but I had built up enough like poker chips where I felt like I could ask him questions. And this guy blew my mind. Every morning before I saw him, I was reading John 15. I was just grounded in this text. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this. I want to teach you what I learned from this incredible vine dresser because I think this is what Jesus wanted his disciples, his Talmudim, his apprentices to discover and know before he was to go to the cross. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. It says this, I, meaning Jesus, am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. It's amazing. Let's stop right there. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Now, here's the thing you got to understand. The vine was the nationalistic symbol of Israel. You can see this all throughout Hosea or Isaiah or the book of Psalms. If I had more time, I could walk you through this. But kind of like in America where we have the bald eagle that kind of represents who we are, our constitution, our seal, has all of this stuff of like our nationalistic symbol, the vine was that for Israel. And so this goes back to when the Hebrew people were scouting out the promised land and you had them bring back those massive grape clusters. And they're like, this land is flowing with milk and honey. It was symbolic of favor. If you get to the days of Jesus, you had King Herod's temple. King Solomon's temple from the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, was only five to six acres. King Herod's temple was 30 acres. He had a little bit of an ego problem. But when he built this massive, massive temple, Josephus, this amazing Jewish historian, talked about how this was like a tourist attraction. People would come from all over the world. They, he said that when you heard of the temple, you thought it was incredible. But when you saw the temple with your own eyes, you left utterly amazed and wanting to give reverence to God. On top of the most holy of holies, the building, the structure, on the outside of the structure, at the tallest point, there were these massive six-foot grape clusters made fully of gold. I, Jesus says, am the true vine. I am the symbol. Oh, my father, my father's the gardener. I just imagine Jesus has just washed these disciples' feet. He's just served them and told them that the Holy Spirit's coming, served them the Last Supper. He takes them to a vineyard and he's like, hey guys, just want you to know, just so you don't miss this, I am the favor. I am the vine. My father is the gardener. He continues on. He says this. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. If you have a, a Bible and, and a pen, you can underline the word prunes. We'll get back to that in a moment. And then he says this. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then he uses this, this word, remain. Some translations say abide. This is verse 4. And abide comes from the word abode, which literally means to make your home in. And so here Jesus is like remain or abide or abode. Make your home in me. As I also remain and abide and abode and make my home in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain, abide, abode, make your home in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain, abide, abode, or make your home in me. He says it again, I am the vine, verse 5, and you are the branches. 
If you remain, abide, abode, make your home in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Nothing that's lasting. Nothing that is sustainable over time. If you do not remain, abide, and abode, and make your that is thrown away and withers, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my Talmudim apprentices, disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, abide, abode, make your home in my love. If you keep my commands, and the word commands in Hebrew is the word mitzvot, it's like sacred deeds. We see them as like laws and rules, but they're literally like these sacred deeds to help us walk in step and in tune in harmony with God. If you keep my commands, you will remain, abide, abode, make your home in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I, that I had learned from my father, I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. How many of you have ever spent time at a vineyard, Napa, or some other vineyard, Paso Robles? All right. Good. Just want to see how many people drink wine here. Thank you. Um, have you ever seen? It's just so stunning. Last weekend, I was down in San Diego, and there was a vineyard on the other side of the property. And it's just such a peaceful picture. It just brought me back to being in South Africa, kind of just following in the steps of this vine dresser. And I, 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 that, that phrase, and I said it yesterday, remain. I was taught to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what I was taught in Bible college and preaching. Always keep the main thing the main thing. But if you look at the Hebrew scriptures, what David praises God about is like, there's nothing like being in your presence. There's nothing like what it means to actually be in the presence of God. This is one of the reasons when we get here exhausted and tired and overwhelmed, and yet we just feel so close to God. And so today, here's what I want to teach you straight from what I learned from this vine dresser is the three essentials to keep the thing the main thing. The three essentials. And, and to do this, I'm going to show you some of my terrible art. Uh, my wife is an artist, and so um, the first one if to keep, first essential to keep the remain thing, the main thing is you have to trust the pruning. Trust the pruning. Now, there's two types of pruning that I learned. The first type of pruning is known as thinning and, thinning and pinching. We'll spend time thinking on thinning. This is my attempt to show you a vine. Now, See, as you can tell, it's just fantastic, isn't it? It's clearly, you're like, is that like a candle opera? What is that? It's like, it's just terrible. Now, here's what you got to know. Is 
is the way that vines grow, vines want to grow. And so literally, like, you have to understand that every vine dresser, every gardener understands that there's only so much units of energy. And all of a sudden, this vine, it wants to sprout. But a vine dresser has to literally inspect every branch because it has to understand, will this branch literally hold up in a stressful season? Will this branch actually bear the best grapes? Will this branch actually be something that will make a great bottle of wine? So constantly, the vine dresser is thinking always about the future, but holding the present really, really closely. So it's inspecting, and it's inspecting, and it's inspecting, and any branch that they don't think can actually hold up in the elements, they take out the shears, and they cut. And the reason they cut is that they are trying to preserve the units of energy that could basically go to this branch when, if they cut it off, it could go to this stronger branch to create a better grape. Why do I say this? How many of you, if you're really honest and you looked at your schedule, this feels like your life? Overcrowded, exhausted, running from one thing to the next. I mean, I have some friends and their kids, three kids, two of them, teams. In the same is like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. It was probably me. Thank you. And when they don't, everyone just looks at the field goal kicker. And so any moment when there's like a moment of some kind of drop, I can always see people in the back just look back at the tech booth. And they, those poor guys, they just try so hard. It's not their fault. It's usually this guy on stage's fault, but all the blame goes back there. Um, but, but I think about this. If, if you think, man, we, we, we give up so many units of energy to things that don't really matter. And we're just going through life and we are just exhausted and tired. And what if just in this week as we literally try to actually embody how to keep the remain thing the main thing, maybe sometime alone with God, the Spirit might say, why are you doing all of this? We all have 168 hours to give. And for some of us, we are extending so much, and literally, we don't have enough to give at home. For some of us, we are giving so much to the marketplace, but not to our kids. So many of us are giving so much in the good spaces, serving opportunities, but we're running on empty. And I think, honestly, one of the most powerful moments of being at a place like Mount Hermon is where you can literally look at your life and go, is there anything, God, that needs to be thinned out? Is there anything that I'm in literally, I'm surrendering the shears and I'm giving them to you. Is there anything 
And maybe I just need to just say no for this next season so that I can actually produce the best kind of fruit. We've all had those moments when we've gone to Vaughn's or Ralph's or Fry's in Arizona and we've gotten those grapes and then all of a sudden like we're eating the grapes, we taste a grape and we're like, that was a terrible grape. And I think about this because there's sometimes when literally I'm running on empty and is it like, am I actually giving the best grapes to that, to that family, to that teaching, if I'm honest, to my own family? And the truth is like this isn't what we were created for. So a great vine dresser isn't wanting this. I'm just going to sign it just in case someone wants to buy it. Um, but like, that's not the way it's supposed to look. It's supposed to look like this. Come on now. That is just fantastic. Yeah, so you get it. You get that, right? Like all of the nutrients going right here and right here and right here. And yes, and yes, and yes. This is like what our life's supposed to be. Not overcrowded, not like hurrying from one thing to the next. We'd actually be the people who actually constantly with each step we take, with every breath we inhale, actually be able to walk and because we know how to keep the remain thing the main thing. See, the great gardener is going to want to thin things out so that you can bear the best kind of fruits. And if you didn't know, these are grapes. It's so obvious. <laughs> Honestly, in your life, if I just had to be honest, what needs to be thinned out going into the fall? And if you put these two side by side, if you were really honest, which one accurately reflects your life? And it's amazing, as things have started to open up, isn't it amazing how many things we're now trying to do because we missed it? And all of a sudden, the pressure is like, it's back, it's back, it's back, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's do, let's do, let's do. And what's amazing is like, watching the anxiety, the lack of peace, the lack of patience. What if our lives actually looked more like this? The second, the second kind of ways that pruning would happen was something that they called pinching. And this is where the gardener, I saw him do this. He'd walk up to like a shoot before it would start to bloom and he would pinch it, just kind of turn it. And I'm like, what are, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's like, this one's not ready to bloom. I'm like, what? If it blooms now, it's not going to be good enough. We need to get it more nutrients. It needs, it needs more. I care too much about this vine. I care too much about this, this kind of grapes. I care too much about the possibility of what it will be. And so I got to pinch it to hold on because it's right now. It's not ready. What's really, really hard in faith is when you look over to the left and you see a neighbor and it seems like God's answering their prayers with a yes, and your prayers don't seem to be answered. A mentor of mine said, God really answers prayers with only three options. Yes, no, or probably the hardest one, not now. And partly what we often think is, man, not now. I remember when I was in high school, we had a kid on our team. He, 
he had the best shot I've ever seen. And I'll just be honest, uh, I lost every game um, yesterday at the gym. <laughs> Eugene beat me. A fifth grader beat me and a seventh grader beat me. It was very humiliating. <laughs> and that, that hurts, but the fact that I, it's painful just to walk up this step even hurts even more. But here's the thing. This guy had the, the cleanest shot I'd ever seen. And as a freshman, we only lost one game. And everybody knew, man, this guy's going to play somewhere D1. He's just so good. By the end of our freshman year, he was getting brought up to varsity. And he played his sophomore year on varsity. But all this pressure was on this kid. And he wasn't ready for it. And midway through this junior year, he stopped playing basketball. And sometimes I, I step back and I just wonder, man, I, I wonder if the coach would have seen that and not just seen the beautiful shot, but actually was able to see, is this guy ready for what I want to put on him? And I wish he would have maybe said, hey, I think you're so talented, but there's some areas in your life that we want to work on. So you got to trust me. And I bet... If that would have happened, we would have won state my senior year. I'm not bitter. But like I'm just saying. But I think about this. Sometimes, sometimes we're so enamored with celebrity. I, I remember Dave Chappelle, the comedian. He signs this $50 million contract with Comedy Central. In episode five, season three, he's telling a joke and people are laughing and he doesn't think it's that funny. So he literally walks off stage. He calls his driver. His driver picks him up. He looks in his bag, he's got a passport. The driver goes, where do you want to go? You want to go home? He goes, no, I want to go to the airport. Great. Drives him to the airport, walks up to American Airlines or Delta and goes, I need to get away as far away as possible. I'm like, well, we got a flight going to South Africa in a couple of hours. He's like, great, send me there. He buys a ticket, doesn't call his wife. TMZ is like saying he's like lost his mind. He's, he's using drugs, all this stuff. Anyways, he ends up going there and he goes to a monastery where he just stays in silence. And while he's there, he begins to reflect on some stuff. And like every celebrity who's trying to kind of come back from something, he finds himself six months later on the couch of, with Oprah. And Oprah's like looking at him and she's like, Dave, why'd you do it? And he says these words, I'll never forget it. He says these words, because success will take you places that character can't sustain you. And for many of us, we are enamored with, I need to get to this position. I need to get here. I need to get here. But the problem is, is our character isn't leading the way. And sometimes when God says, not now, not now, not now, we don't actually trust that he has something better in store for us. All we see is what our neighbors have. Why not me? Why not me? And if we actually could live in this process of trusting it, man, it just changes us. Second essential to keep the remain thing the main thing is to trust the process. To trust the process. Uh, if you know this, this phrase, trust the process, was birthed from the 2016 Chicago Cubs. I'm a huge Chicago Cubs fan. This is when we won the World Series. Amazing. But the general manager of the Chicago Cubs said this. This is the first iterance that we have of that phrase, trust the process. No matter what the trade is, you have to trust the process. 
I'm proud of that process and the people we have involved in it as an organization. We try to ask the right questions, do the research, and make the right decision. And in a culture that wants to microwave spiritual formation, we have to trust the process. In a culture that wants it right now, we have to trust the process. And what's so beautiful, when you actually keep the remain thing the main thing, you have to think, how long? And this is what I asked the vine dresser. How long from when like a, a seed is put into the ground to when a vine begins to bear grapes? And he was like, oh, three years. How long was Jesus with his disciples? Three years. It's basically Jesus stops before he gets arrested and goes to the cross and he's at a vineyard and he goes, it's your time to bloom. But you got to trust this process. What's amazing is we live in a culture that wants to see Jesus turn water to wine and Jesus is often more like, no, 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 no. You got to trust the process. You have to keep doing your work. You have to keep allowing the spirit to sanctify you and make you whole and holy and spiritually healthy. I'll have people sit in my office sometimes and they'll be telling their story and it's a painful story and here's the, my answer back to them often. I'm like, that's going to be a great bottle of wine someday. And they're like, what are you talking about? Because if you ever had a great bottle of wine, it usually takes nine to 12 years for it to actually be opened up from seeds to the ground to actually three years later to be bearing fruit to actually being taken and actually made by the, the vineyard to be bottled and actually kind of barreled to be sent out to kind of put on a shelf to be weighted for a great bottle of wine it takes nine to 12 years and sometimes the mystery of what God does it takes time and I think sometimes in our faith we just want to rush that process but if you can keep the remain thing, the main thing, trusting, as Eugene said, that Jesus is alive, and if he's alive, he's in work in you, you can trust that he's actually going to bear the best kind of fruit in you and through you. The third essential to keep the remain thing, the main thing, is you have to trust the promise. And this is one of the hardest, hardest realities for us. As we can trust that we're, our lives are being pruned. We can sometimes trust the process, but sometimes it's hard that we can trust the promise. That apart from him, we're not going to bear the best kind of fruit. Often, I think, too often in my life, I said, Jesus, I'm the vine and you're a branch. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm the vine and you're a branch. If you keep the remain thing, the main thing, you stay in me, you will bear much fruit. If you go off doing your own thing, it's not going to work. Now, I think for some of us, some of us here, we, we sometimes in our own story, we think to ourselves, you, you don't understand, Steve. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand how I've lived my life. You don't understand the brokenness. And you're all looking going, what is this? You don't understand. Here's what I need you to know. What's incredible to me is we've all heard this word grafting. And what's amazing in grafting is how they make like a, a, a mixture of grapes. So Cabernet Sauvignon, like it's a, it's a mixture of grapes. And, and you, you have to ask yourself, well, how do you do this? And so I'm asking this vine dresser. He goes, oh, this is what we do. We basically chop off kind of the 
all of the branches, and we, so we just have this shoot. And I was like, then what happens? He goes, the vine, this is the language. The vine starts to weep and bleed. I was like, that's the gospel, okay? And I'm like, then what do you do? Oh, then, then what we do is we take the seed of the new grape that we want to like actually kind of merge and graft in. We make a tea cut. I said, what was that? A tea cut. So we make a tea cut right in the middle of the shoot. I was like, all right, Ash Wednesday. And then like literally what we do is we put the seed right inside of it and we bandage the wounds. So it's bandaged up and we wait. Sometimes if you've ever been to a, like a vineyard and you've seen kind of a, a, a base like this, it's bandaged up, that's what they're doing. They're grafting. They're trying to create a new grape. Then we remove the grapes and, or the bandages and literally what begins to happen is if it's done right, new life begins to happen. New grapes begin to happen. The vine dresser asked me, isn't that pretty fascinating? I'm like, yeah. And I, like I said to the park ranger, because I'm a preacher, I was like, that's the gospel. This is, this is what we do. We all have this past. And the truth is, somehow we've been able to take our story and literally merge that in to be in Christ. And the promise is of new creation. The promise is the word renewal in us and with us and through us so we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. And what's so beautiful is even that word renewal in Greek is the word like regenesia, which literally means like Genesis again. New life again. A new story can be written. New fruit can actually happen, but it begins when we actually make the choice to keep the remain thing the main thing. That everywhere we go, every environment we step into, Christ is already there. But can we live our lives to remain or abide and truly make our home in Christ. If we are able to do that, you will bear much fruit. But apart from him, you can do nothing. What in your life needs to be thinned out so you can bear the best fruit coming this fall? Where has God said, not now, that you've struggled to trust, that he's just saying, trust me? And where in your life right now have you spent more time, and I loved how Eugene talked about this yesterday, thinking about the feelings or the pain and the reality of a dry season instead of trusting the promise that God's not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. He's not done with us. And when we can keep the remain thing the main thing, we're constantly going, I'm handing you the shears believing that you're not done, believing that you are at work in this process and I can trust you because you've been faithful yesterday and you are faithful today and you will be faithful tomorrow. This is our God. And the more we walk in step with that together, the more our lives will be a cathedral to a world that is overwhelmed with crisis and challenge, criticism and cynicism. And when they get into our cathedral, the way that our lives are interlocked with one another, the ways that we love one another and pray for one another and serve one another and bear with one another, which is proof that the Chicago Bears are the best NFL team to worship. But like, the more that we actually follow scripture and we do this, the more people are gonna see a church that keeps the remain thing the main thing.
Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for what you are doing in our midst. I pray that we are not a group of people who just run off and do our own thing. Or people who can be honest. Honest when the pruning hurts. Honest of a dry season. We also could be honest in the fact that we trust you, that you're actually going to working for our best good. We can literally trust the process that we're in. Because you want to make us whole and holy and spiritually healthy. God, I pray that we would be a kind of people who would bear the best kind of fruit. Not just for the kingdom's sake, but for our kids and our family's sake. And for ourselves. I pray that we are a people that are enamored by being in your presence. Or like the first church would say, being in Christ. Help us. Help us. Help us. Keep the remaining thing the main thing. We pray all this in your name and everyone said, amen.